Well, Christ's Journey, I'm so happy to be with you together again, and I got to tell you, it is Valentine's Day, and so I know this is true. God wants me to tell you, you are loved. In fact, you're not just loved, you are so loved, and it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what you have done or left undone, you are loved, and God wants us to share a share that reality today. You are loved. We believe that. We want to become more like that. In fact, wherever you are right now, Kendall Campus, Gables Campus, right there in your home or whatever room you're connecting with or uh, the device that you are watching us and being part of us on, I want us just to, to all join together our voices in a declaration of faith in love from Romans chapter 8, verse 39. Would you join me? Here we go. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, one more time. Now, I know you, you don't have to say it loud enough that people around you can hear it, but you could look at them, you know, just like I'm talking about you. Whoever you are around me, wherever you are, would we, let's try one more time. Here we go. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Happy Valentine's Day. So happy thought about love. Now, speaking of happy thoughts about love, did you hear what the uh, cantaloupe said to her honeydew? You're one in a melon. <laughs> Come on, that's like, I got a little bit of a chuckle on that one. Okay, how about this? What did the cucumber say to the pickle? You mean a great deal to me. That's a little bit more. That's a little bit more. Okay, now this one isn't a joke. This really happened, but I asked Lisa if I could share it um, because it fits Valentine's. Many of you know from our journey together that I proposed marriage to her over the phone. Yes, this is true. Lisa, right? I did it over the phone. I know, crazy. Crazy is what you're thinking. You know what's crazier than that? She said yes over the phone. So... But that's not the story. That's part of the story. But the first time we got together in person, physically, after that, we were living in two different states, and she flew to come and be where I was. And as she was walking down the, uh, the, the hallway, coming off the airplane, um, I think it was a new outfit. She would have to confirm that. But she was wearing this cute, kind of a nautical, uh, you know, yellow, red, blue, got a little... Uh, sailing thing this is what I remember anyway and um, and and I think it pr may have been new for the uh, you know encounter that day but I had also purchased a new shirt and I don't still have it but I went online and I found it and this, this is not a joke I found this shirt and um, it actually is a, uh, a t-shirt of the Del Monte green beans can on one knee with arms open wide saying, where you been all my life? <laughs> feel that? Feel that? Okay, feel this. Grateful that Bill isn't giving relationship and romance counseling today. That's not the topic of this talk today. Um, but thank you, honey, for saying yes, and thank you for remembering, and thank you for being here all my life. This is the good thing that we're sharing by God's grace today. Um, I, I also uh, have something that is every bit as important, and it's also ultimately about love, but on a cosmic scale. 
our series is Becoming. And, um, and becoming always involves what you're believing. It matters what you believe. Is this a self-evident truth? I'm asking you. Is this a self-evident truth? We become like the things we believe. Is that true? What do you think? It matters what you believe because that then in turn, it influences and determines what you become. We become like the people we believe, like the truths we trust, like the stories that we tell ourselves, and then downstream, those become behaviors. They're translated into behavior. So it matters that we become aware of the belief systems or the worldviews that we live out of, the view screens of our lives. Now, I mentioned last week, The Universe Next Door is a standard textbook, Dr. James Sire, a basic catalog of major worldviews. If you want to investigate further uh, some background on uh, the content of this series, that's a good place to go. But he represents there the major worldviews that are currently present in culture. Now, a worldview is simply a framework in which we seek, you seek, to make sense out of what you experience in life every day, including this day. And as you open his book, the very first page, I mean, the cover to the very first page, this is what's staring at you. For any of us to be fully conscious intellectually, we should not only be able to detect the worldviews of others, everybody's got a framework they live out of, you should be able to detect what's their framework of reference, um, but also be aware of our own, why it is ours, and why, in light of so many options, we think it's true. We all have a worldview right now. You do, I do. It's affecting the way we live. It's affecting the way we love. Our culture right now is in flood tide stage of worldviews. The internet and social media has like opened this virtual smorgasbord of competing and conflicting um, perspectives. And am I right in this? They, they all want your attention. They all are trying to influence or give shape to your becoming. And so the question is, how can you decipher who to trust? You know, how do you know what to believe, when to believe, how to believe it, how to behave? Is there a way to do that or are there many ways? And then how do you choose? And it, it, is it a matter of how you feel, how you feel most strongly about something? Because there is a school of thought that says how you feel is what you are and gives shape to your behavior, gives shape to your life. So is feeling really the most authentic truth? Is it the most real thing? And then, you know, I have feelings, but I'm like a thinker, and so I have to think about how I feel sometimes. <laughs> and, and so, but what happens if your feelings change? How do you deal with that? Or with so many options, maybe you've wondered this. If I choose one, does that mean I miss out on all the others? How do you deal with that? Or maybe you're already feeling like this whole talk is a little bit tedious already. I mean, you didn't plan on thinking so hard today. And yet here we are. So I got a story for you, too. It's about Pastor James Dunn of the First Baptist Church and his wife, Gladys. Now, Gladys was very friendly. She liked to welcome people and socialize, and, which would make this season particularly hard for her. But this story happened before COVID. So, but one Sunday when the sermon 
just droned on and on, many people fell asleep. So after the service, to be sociable, um, she walked up to people who looked particularly sleepy, and one guy in especially, and she was trying to like revive some sense, and so she reaches out her hand and she says, hi, I'm Gladys Dunn. And he said, you're not the only one. Wake him up and tell him what it meant. But, you know, that's like, this is what I'm hoping won't happen today. What I'm hoping is that what we open up here, that the truth we share won't put you to sleep. It'll actually kind of force your eyes to stretch open a little wider with awareness that can help you and somebody else that you love, somebody else that is also struggling for truth in a world like this. In light of the fact, I'm also aware that Paul says you know, that it is possible to be ever learning and never able to come to truth. I mean, there's so many options. Where do you land? I'm also aware that he wrote this. This is what I'm committed to. See to it that no one takes you captive. Nobody wants to be enslaved. Nobody wants to be held captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. Somebody made this stuff up and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Man, I would love to break the gravitational force of human philosophy and then be lifted into a higher reality. Is there a possibility of that happening? Jesus said yes. He said to his followers, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, my desire in this series is to get closer to true closer to true and the closer we get to true the freer we're going to become so open your mind up a little bit today and try to stay with me okay because freedom is the goal you know how sometimes uh, a child their shoelace will get all knotted up you know and and they really want to be free from it but the shoe is still on their foot and they can't get it off because it's in a knot and so their your child comes and brings the shoe to you and you know you engage with it or or when lisa will bring to me a delicate necklace, jewelry necklace, fine, you know, small. But it's, and she wants to wear it, but it's all tangled up, and it's all knotted up, and it's like, you do something with this. And so you know what happens, because you've done it too, right? You, you just get right down there, you bring the shoe right up into the light and the glasses, and you start trying to investigate, how do I loosen these strands? Or the fine necklace, you carefully, gradually, delicately try to loosen it, observing gently, and then find out where the knot is and where it first established its chokehold on the precious chain, and then, by the light, loosen it up. Well, that's what I'm hoping could happen for some of the players. Maybe you're knotted up today. Maybe when it comes to the way you think about philosophy and life and future and just culture, that you're in knots. Well, wouldn't it be great if God could put some light in there and maybe loosen it up a little bit for you? May God grant us the grace to help do that today. And uh, what I'm hoping is that they will, these messages will take us into that not just loosened place, but into a greater lift. And the place we want to start today is by acknowledging that um, those two worldviews that have been the most go-to place in Western civilization for the last few centuries, what are they? Well, one is 
you believe that matter is all there is, was, and is to come, or that God preceded matter and actually brought matter into being and sustains it. Where the Bible begins, we spent some time there last week, is in the beginning God created heavens and earth. The space-time continuum that we call real and matter, God pre-existed matter and holds it in existence. Or the opposing viewpoint stated famously by Carl Sagan once upon a time, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. These are two distinct worldviews. In the beginning, God created, or the cosmos always has been, matter has been, is, and will be to come. So, um, these general categories are called theism and naturalism. Theism, from the Greek word theos, there is a God, and naturalism from nature. Nature is what it all is, okay? All of life is essentially and nothing but nature. God, or God creates nature. Now, in Jewish Christian theism, um, the same Bible starts with God creates and sustains all that is. In naturalism, all of life is essentially nothing but matter. Now, if you've already snagged on that thought, that this kind of basic duality is being forced into some kind of false dilemma, you know, and it, I don't like having it be so black or white. I'm not trying to represent one way over another. I'm just saying these are the two worldviews that are the most basic from which all others have flowed over the past two centuries. Historically, you studied this in universities. That's what, that's what I'm just trying to do, just report on what the controversy has been about for a while. Since the 1800s, the history of Western civilization, the worldviews most prevalent in culture in human culture, have all spawned from these two. Those are the two main go-to places, and then from that we find others heading downstream, like nihilism with Nietzsche, existentialism, pantheism, new age, postmodernism. Maybe you'd be more familiar with these words because these are some of the taglines that make it a little bit farther downstream. Racism, sexism, Feminism, creationism, secularism, elitism, humanism, militarism, socialism, all of those isms flow downstream from a major worldview from which you build your framework out of which you live your life. Now, I'm not bringing those up as trigger words. I'm just saying that they are expressions of worldviews and they track back to and flow from an original basic approach. And we're seeing them be debated in the culture wars today at various levels. But my contention, and I think history would bear this out for those of you who are studying philosophy and the worldviews, that the, the, those that are involved in the culture wars today are actually offshoots of these two basic approaches, either theism with God or naturalism without God. Now remember, we're not rushing into judgment here. All we're trying to do is identify basic and contrasting worldviews. And one of the questions that immediately comes up when we start this conversation usually is about science and the function of science. How does science function in these two categories? So I have a story that I'd like to tell you that puts it in perspective for me. 
Maybe it can help. It was about a family of mice that lived in a grand piano. And uh, they enjoyed listening to the music that they heard come from the great player, whom though they never saw, because they always stayed in the piano, they never saw, but they believed because they heard the music that was coming from the piano. Well, one day, one of the little mice got brave and climbed deeper into the piano and made an astonishing discovery that the music didn't come from a great player, but rather from wires that reverberated back and forth. And the little mouse returned to his family so excited and informed them that there was no great player, but only wires, and the music came from wires that were reverberating back and forth. And so the family of mice abandoned their belief in the great player and instead had a purely mechanical, a mechanistic viewpoint. Well, one day, another one of the little mice got brave and went even farther into the grand piano. And there, discovered to his astonishment that the music didn't come from reverberating wires, but from little hammers that hit the wires. And he was so excited about his new discovery, he ran back to his family to tell them that there was no great player, but neither did the music come from the wires. It really came from little hammers that struck the wires and made the music. And the family rejoiced that they were so educated and understanding that there was no great grand piano player, but that the music literally came from little hammers that struck the wires. The family of mice didn't believe in a great piano player that was playing the instrument. Instead, they believed in the mechanical, the mechanistic understanding. And then they also believed that the mechanistic understanding explained all of reality. Makes sense. Now, the simple story obviously has limits, um, but it does show how limited understandings are expanded how? By experience and experiment. That's the scientific method. The scientific method tells us that we can expand our knowledge of the material world when we experiment and experience. And it works really well in the material world, uh, in the world of matter, the world that is around us as matter, what we call nature. That's the grand piano in the story that I just told. But when the study of nature jumps to the conclusion that what it can't see or has not yet proven in the material realm does not exist, cannot exist, we've just moved from science in nature to the philosophy of naturalism. Following me there? I'm not asking if you're agreeing, I'm just saying that's you're tracking with me. Naturalism. In the story, the great player is the victim of that viewpoint because the great player lives and moves and has his being outside the grand piano. By definition, he is not the piano. He is not in the piano. He is not dependent upon the piano for his existence. But if naturalism is your bent, then your presupposition is he cannot be. 
But though he's not dependent upon the piano for his existence, he makes the genius of his art and his engineering known through his music with the piano. That's theism. That's the theistic viewpoint. By the way, if you're joining us from home and you want to put on a couple of piano pieces, the, the, my favorites are um, Claire de Lune by Debussy and uh, Pathétique, Beethoven's Sonata. And I love to listen to those and experience the art together. In theism, God exists outside and beyond matter in the same way that the piano player exists outside the piano. Jesus said, God is spirit. Those who seek him must seek him in spirit, not matter. God is not matter by definition. But in the view of naturalism, the presumption is, the presupposition is, what is considered to be self-evident truth is that matter is all that is. So if it cannot be materially proven to exist, it must not be. But to come to such a conclusion based on the absence of evidence doesn't really sound scientific to me, right? It's a non-scientific step of faith that is made without evidence based on limited knowledge from within the piano. So here's the bottom line. Science and those who study such things say by definition science cannot prove or disprove the existence of God. But that doesn't mean that science is an enemy of spiritual truth or of faith. In fact, the scientific method was actually born from belief in God as a rational God who made his universe as rational, orderly, and knowable by human beings. Historically, that's how science came into existence in Western civilization. Uh, based on a worldview that says the world is made by a rational, orderly, knowable God. The first scientists, in fact, from the Renaissance, held the Christian worldview. Galileo, Copernicus, Francis Bacon, Johannes Kepler, so did Isaac Newton. You can investigate that on your own. By, by the way, we put some resources in the uh, notes so that you could look that up if you'd like to. What that means to me is that the belief, the belief that faith and science are enemies is a myth. It's not real, it's not true, it's not how science came into being, and it's not being practiced today. The belief that smart people who use human reason to find their way cannot at the same time be people who trust God and do it with God. No, that's a myth. Happen, didn't happen that way in the beginning, still isn't happening that way today. The belief that theists, people who believe there is a God, who exists outside the natural realm of material knowledge, who believe in spirit truth as well, are not somehow less intelligent than those who hold to naturalism. People who believe in human reason without God. I believe that dichotomy is likewise a myth. In fact, many outstanding minds across modern times from living inside the piano, which is where we all find our being, do so with a knowledge that God exists beyond it from a worldview, that God exists beyond it and yet is very active in it. You don't have to have a PhD 
to know that the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, that states if the, uni that the universe is running out of usable energy, what that means is the cosmos is not eternal. It is diminishing and dwindling. It's, it will not always be. And then if the science behind the Big Bang is true, what that means, that because the science claims that that was the experience from which all matter came into being. Well, then that means that the universe hasn't always existed. It had a beginning. And if it had a beginning, it had a, a cause. Somewhere, somehow. Dr. Robert Jastrow, professor of astronomy at Columbia University in Dartmouth College, in his book, God and the Astronomers, now says this, now we see how the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. And he's not alone. There is a God who is behind and sustaining and making this ordered rational universe. Now I've got a few more stories that I want to tell. and not, not all of these are Christ followers, but they have been students who have come to a point in their intellectual journey who said, I believe there's a God. Like Buzz Aldrin, Apollo 11 astronaut who walked on the moon. You may not know, but he took communion. He took Holy Communion with him and took it on the lunar surface. NASA kept it under wraps because they felt it would be a bit controversial at the time, but Buzz declared his faith from the moon, and on the way back, this he quotes Psalm 8, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And that's what's written in handwritten scrawl. You can find it online if you want to see the actual note. Carl Jung, famous Swiss psychologist, said this in a, in a speaking interview one day. All that I have learned has led me step by step to an unshakable conviction of the existence of God. 20th century psychologist. Harriet Tubman, let's go a little bit farther back. Period of slavery in America. Harriet Tubman is known as the, the Black Moses who led 300 slaves to freedom on the Underground Railroad, but she was also known for her profound and deep faith in God. In fact, she said she would... She, she would listen carefully for the voice of God as she was making her journeys in the dark up through the railroad. And she would only go where she felt God was leading her. Amazing story. Dr. Anthony Flew, he made history in 2004. Just this recent last uh, couple of decades here for declaring his belief in God. His book, There Is a God, how the world's most notorious atheist changed his mind, describes his journey to his turn, um, particularly influenced by the evidence of design. Now, that happened in 2004. The work that was being done in 2003 about DNA was significant in his turning. He just thought, this is too complex. And studying the universe and studying the world, the grand piano convinced him of making the turn. Now his story is told with many others in the book Belief. This is a book of readings compiled by Dr. Francis Collins. Dr. Collins is a preeminent scientist with extraordinary credentials. He's the head of the National Institutes for Health, a $42 billion biomedical research agency that's been working 15-hour days every day during the pandemic to fight it. Wall Street Journal did an article on him that appeared in August of 2020. You can look it up, please do. And in that, he says he relies on both science and faith in his work. 
I heard him speak in Washington, D.C., where he said this, as a scientist, I found no contradiction in science to my belief in a personal God who answers prayer. Close quote. It was Collins who helped isolate the gene for cystic fibrosis back in the 80s. It was Collins who led the Human Genome Mapping Project to completion in 2003. And the Wall Street Journal said, it reports, read the article for yourself, please. It says that he finds comfort in his evangelical faith as he starts every day at 5 a.m. reading the Bible that he keeps on his desk in his office. He says, in particular, one passage from one of Paul's letters, 2 Corinthians 12, has steadied him in the storm this year where God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Colin says this, I can't tell you how much that helps me. When it's not clear what path to take, I can do the best I can, but if there's some weakness in me, it's okay. And so Collins in another book says this, science, science answers how, that's the mechanical piece, but religion, faith answers why. And speaking of why, Jesus taught us that it was for love. Why did this all happen? Why did he do what he did? Why did he come? God so loved that he gave, and he gave us his son, but way back in the beginning, he gave us Reality. He gave us the cosmos. He gave us the world. He gave us his image. He gave us each other, male and female. And all of that somehow comes together just for days like this where we can say, I love you to people who matter to us, who are image bearers of God, who are testimonies of his creative genius right here in our same space. Jesus said it was for love that God created. He didn't have to but he chose to. Why? So that he could make you and me in his image. Why? So that we could know him spiritually in love. That's the point of the whole story. This is the good news of Christ. That's called Christian theism, by the way. And that's what I want my grandsons to know. And I just happened to have brought a picture of my little grandson my, one of our Valentines, this is Cedar, who's celebrating his, uh, I guess it's his second Valentine's Day or third. But he reminds me that God made us for love and wants us to experience his love in our reality. What does that mean? Well, it means that the great, as we listen as you turn your ears upward, you might hear some echoes of the great player. And that music that you're sensing is your invitation to join the song and, uh, and to feel the love right here from within the grand piano and to do it today. So what I would say is, you know, if, you're, if you feel all knotted up on the inside, then this is a good place to come. You just, you just bring your precious valuables to the hands that are scarred and allow him to turn the light of love so that he can loosen it up and bring some lift 
to where you are. And I would say to you, brave little mouse, <laughs> if you've been searching into the piano and you've been examining the evidence, don't stop until you get to the player because he loves you. In fact, that's why the scripture says that he has set eternity in our hearts. He put a homing device inside us, Ecclesiastes 3.11, so that when we hear an invitation, we might listen and look up to him. Would you pray with me? Thank you, gracious God, for the genius, the mammoth size of your might and your power, but the genius of your mind and the, the skill and craft of your art that you would make us in such a way that we might think these thoughts, that we could investigate such profound truths and that we could connect in such deep and personal ways. We thank you for the connections that we can make with each other. We, we pray you would forgive us for where we, we fail each other, where we get knotted up and where we get tangled up and where it just gets, it's so hard. But I thank you that you can enter into that space and, and create more freedom. I pray it would happen now for somebody. I'm praying for somebody in particular who's been exploring and investigating and, and coming up with more knowledge but not a settledness yet. May this be the day that they hear you joining that journey in a larger volume with them. And if that's you, friend, would you just lean in you just say, Lord, if that's you, I'm listening. And allow him to draw you closer. The scripture says if we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us. That applies to you if you're a non-believer, if you're a believer, if you've been following the Lord but been away from the Lord and it's time to come home today, then just lean in and say, Lord, I'm listening. Forgive my sins, Lord Jesus. Cleanse me and restore me that I can join you in the music of the universe. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence, for hearing my prayer as I make it in your name. Amen.